Hello, my friend. You may believe in resurrection life in the past, Jesus raising the dead in the Gospels, Jesus' own resurrection, even the early disciples raising the dead in the book of Acts. There are even accounts of resurrections in the Old Testament. And you believe in the future resurrection, but do you believe we can experience resurrection life right now, right here? Hello there, this is Brian Del Turco. You're listening to Jesus Smart, the podcast. This is episode number 67. The conviction here is that Jesus knows how life works best right now. The future is his and, and it's starting to show up in the present. This is a special Holy Week episode. Resurrection Sunday or Easter is the supreme holiday for Christians around the world, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's even a higher holiday than Christmas, the birth of Christ. In this episode, we're going to talk about how Jesus reframes our understanding, listen to this, that the resurrection is already on, right here, right now. It's been on since he rose again from the dead. I hope you're challenged by this. I know I am. I hope you'll use this episode this week for reflection as you prepare for Resurrection Sunday weekend, but it's also relevant all year. Whenever you listen to this, that's the whole point. Resurrection life, that dynamic is available all the time, right here, right now, wherever you're at and whatever the time is. And I hope you'll share this with your friends and family. So are you ready? Here we go. You can experience resurrection life now. You know, raising someone or something to life again, I think we would have to admit that that is a showcase, a showcase of God's supreme energy, right? We have the potential to experience a new kind of life, resurrection life in the now and everywhere. Jesus brings that to us. Do you remember the account of Lazarus in the Gospel of John? I think it's chapter 12. And I think that, you know, chronologically, it was just right before leading up to what we now know as Holy Week and then the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Lazarus was seriously sick and then he died. He was in the grave, John writes, for four days. And when Jesus finally came, He said to his sister, your brother will rise again. What Martha didn't know was that Jesus was ready to radically shift the way that she saw things, how she saw the resurrection, because Martha says, I know, Lord, he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus wasn't talking about the last day. He was in the moment with Martha's pain and need, and he was ready to release resurrection life right now. Jesus was ready to see the glory of the Father put on display. Jesus is always reframing our understanding. He's always challenging our thinking and giving us mind shifts, mind shifts from another world, Jesus' world, the world of the kingdom that he brings. So much of the work that Jesus does is to help us see, to help us understand in a new and a living way, to truly believe Martha's thinking about the resurrection life, it was so narrow and it was reserved only for the future. And if we're honest, it is the same for most of us. 
oh yeah, we believe in that Jesus rose again. We believe that the early disciples in the book of Acts raised people from the dead. Jesus did commission us to go out and raise the dead, you know. There are even accounts in the Old Testament of individuals being raised from the dead. But with Jesus, hear me now, my friend, with Jesus, the powers of the age to come break into our time. That's what Hebrews chapter 6 says. We can taste and experience the Holy Spirit. We can taste and experience the Word of God and the powers of the age which are to come. I love this quote by N.T. Wright in his book, Surprised by Hope. Jesus' resurrection, he says, is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Isn't that good? Colonizing earth with the life of heaven. Jesus did teach us to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I I just really challenge you to go to Hebrews 6, verses 4 and 5. The writer of Hebrews says that we can be enlightened, we can taste the heavenly gift, we can partake of the Holy Spirit, tasting the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Tasting the powers of the age to come is extraordinary potential for us. Could it be, my friend, that this is really meant to be the normal Christian life. You know, there's a difference, as Watchman Nee wrote, between the normal Christian life, what Jesus considers normative, and the average Christian life around us, even the average Christian life that we've experienced to date in our own development with Christ. But Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not just a future event. I am it. It's a now statement. Jesus wants Martha to realize that resurrection potential is already on. I encourage you to invest time in John chapter 11, verses 17 to 44. Actually, chapter 11 of John, I believe, is the account of Lazarus. I mentioned John 12. Chapter 11, verses 17 to 44, you see, the ministry acts of Jesus in the Gospels are meant to model for us what's possible in our experience. It's not just a story. It's not just miraculous accounts that Jesus expressed and executed on in the Gospels. They're meant to be models and templates and seed forms of what he wants us to do. He would always challenge his disciples. You know, he got up in the boat and spoke to the storm and turned around and said, where's your faith? You know, they came to him and said, hey, there's a big crowd here. They're hungry. They've been with us for three days. You better send them home and tell them to get something to eat so they have time to eat. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You see, over and over and over again, it's always modeling. It's always planting the seed potential in his disciples and in us to replicate what Jesus did. Jesus said, even more than that, he said, greater works than than these will you do because I go to the Father. I just love another quote, this one by G.K. Chesterton from his book, The Everlasting Man. Quote, On the third day, the friends of Christ, coming at daybreak to the place, found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder. But even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What does Chesterton mean? The world had died in the night. He continues, 
What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth. And in a semblance of the gardener, God walked again in the garden in the cool, not of the evening, but of the dawn. You'll recall that Jesus appeared to Mary in the garden and she thought he was the gardener. An amazing statement, just a mind-stretching truth, the way that Chesterton helps us reframe the understanding of the resurrection. So Jesus says concerning Lazarus, back to that account, take away the stone. And they say, Lord, by this time he's already been decaying, right? Four days in the grave. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then praying to the Father, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came up and out of his grave. Resurrection life reconstituted his decaying body, refilled, reanimated his physical frame, his mind. Everything was rebooted, recharged, re-energized, and he came out of the tomb. The completeness of Jesus' kingdom is yet to come, but he has already inaugurated his kingdom New possibilities are present beginning right now. We can begin now to sample and taste the powers of the age, the resurrection age in its completeness, which is to come right here, right now. And this includes foretaste of healing, of deliverance, of provision abundance, and of resurrection life. I mean, consider that Jesus said, When he began his ministry, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I just want to suggest to us that wherever there is repentance, it means to change your mind and change your approach to life. Wherever there is repentance, authentic kingdom life is available. What if we were to present ourselves before the Lord and say, Jesus, reframe my thinking shift my mind. Give me a supernatural mind shift. Let everything that is old and everything that is of disbelief and doubt and and skepticism, let it burn off of my life. Fill me now with the new world that you're bringing. Fill me with the potential that you are bringing to me. And so I just want to say that the resurrection is already on. It is already on. The resurrection is not just for the future, as Martha thought. Resurrection life, consider with me quickly that resurrection life comes in progressive phases. Amazingly, bodily resurrections occurred in the Old Testament. There are accounts of people coming to life again through miraculous miracles in the Old Testament. And this, what's stunning about this, is that this was under a covenant, the old covenant, which Paul says is inferior to the new covenant. You can check it out in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 7 through 11. In fact, Paul says there that the glory of the new covenant that we are under since Christ has so much glory in it, so much of God's presence and potential and nature available in it to be manifested It so far exceeds the glory of the old covenant that it is incomparable. So why then, the question would be, if bodily resurrections occurred in the Old Testament, those incidents being precursors 
to resurrection life in our time, the time of the new covenant, why would we not be experiencing resurrection experiences now? Physically, yes, a business could be resurrected, a relationship could be brought to new life again, a project that's dying could come back to life again and realize its full potential. There's many ways that resurrection life is manifested. And number two, as we consider that resurrection life comes progressively in phases, and I don't mean to say that this is you know comprehensive and complete, but I think that these are some good, basic, solid framework to show that resurrection life comes progressively. Consider number two, that Christ wants his followers to raise the dead. Yeah, that's right. Your Bible says that. The Gospels in the New Testament say that. Jesus said it as recorded in the Gospels. Jesus sent the 12 on a mission. You'll recall in Matthew chapter 10, and he says, as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means it's drawn near. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. And we have to understand that Christ means for this mission mandate to be for his full-on followers until he comes again. And that includes us today as Christ followers. Well, we may say, I don't see that in my life. I don't, I don't see the full spectrum of this in my life either. And we, we may look around at the church and, and say, this is pathetic. We're not seeing this at all. But we cannot allow our personal experience or even our corporate experience or what's happening to the church in America or in the West, we cannot allow that to interpret what Jesus meant. We have to allow what Jesus said to interpret us, to read us, and we have to come up to what he said and what he makes available. And I know it's a process. There's a transformation, a deep, deep transformation that must go on within us as his followers to release from our spirit this kind of life, to abide in Christ. So much could be explored just in that. We're all seeking to grow and develop. But we have to admit that Christ wants his followers to raise the dead. Here's a third point. An amazing incident. When Jesus yielded up his spirit on the cross, it says the veil in the temple, a very thick curtain, very high curtain, was torn in two from top to bottom. Now the Holy of Holies was accessible to all. There was an earthquake. It says rocks were split and graves were opened. Here's another one. Is this number four? As Jesus was raised, so much life hit the earth. It says many saints were also raised and came out of the tombs. They appeared to many in Jerusalem. Check it out in Matthew 27, verses 50 to 53. Another point, people were raised from the dead in the book of Acts. After Jesus ascended, Peter raised Dorcas from the dead in Acts 9. He followed that same faith template that Jesus used to raise the daughter of Jairus. Paul raised Eutychus to life again in Acts 20. Yet another point, people have been raised from the dead since the times of the New Testament. Throughout church history, there have been sporadic or pockets, instances demonstrating the glory of the Lord, the resurrection life of Jesus being manifested. And yes, even throughout all of church history, there have been people, including our day, perhaps increasingly in our day, people raised from the dead since the times of the New Testament. Check out Africa. 
Check out South America. Check out Asia. If you're in Europe, Western Europe, and North America, my friend, the power center of Christianity has shifted to Asia. It has shifted to the southern part of the world, South America, and to Africa. We have to be challenged by our international brothers and sisters in Christ and and be challenged to come up to the gold standard that Jesus sets before us. So I have some concluding thoughts, okay? Just some concluding thoughts for us to be motivated, inspired, instructed, hopefully even challenged. Number one, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit without measure. You see, if I've been born again, the Holy Spirit definitely lives within me, but the Holy Spirit can fill me in greater measure. It's like a a continuum or a gradient. There is no limit. Listen to what John 3.34 says, For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. We can seek fresh infillings of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says that we're not to be drunk with wine, but to be continuously intoxicated, frankly, on the Holy Spirit, fresh infillings, fresh baptisms. There's a sense in the Greek there in Ephesians 5 of not a one-time event, but repeated fresh infillings of the Holy Spirit. Here's another thought I have about about all of this. The Word is primary in our life. I want to pursue a consistent, fresh intake of the Word of God. In Psalm 138, it says that God magnifies His Word according to, or some translations would have it as, above His name. If God prioritizes His Word in that way, magnifying it according to His name, perhaps even above His name, what sense of prioritization should we be giving to His Word? If we honor his word and prioritize it, do you think, do you think that God would bless us? Do you think that he would honor us more? Do you think that he would bring us into higher elevated experiences of even resurrection life? I would like to say that so much of the anemic experience that we see in Christianity in the West is because we have an anemic word life. God really does nothing in our lives apart from the agency of his word wedded to the power of his presence and spirit. So we should be giving the word prime time and energy in our own lives, right? It transforms our worldview. Even concerning these scriptures on the resurrection life of Jesus that we've been mentioning being available in the now, we should saturate ourselves in those verses. We should marinate ourselves in those words and allow it to seep deep into our inner man where it gets deeper than Netflix. (laughs) It gets deeper than what people around us are saying, what we've experienced. I mean, come on. If It has to be a major input into our life. Jesus is challenging to us. Here's a third thought. The release of our spirit. What do I mean by that? The release of our spirit. Well, there was a great Chinese Bible teacher, Watchman Nee, who wrote about the release of the Spirit. He was really, in a sense, I would say foundational to the Chinese church today in his teaching, in his consecration, and and the miracle that we're seeing in China today with the hidden church of Jesus Christ just proliferating 
People like Watchman Nee are foundational to that. But he wrote of the release of the Spirit. He wrote of a crust, a crust in our soul life, which can limit the release of the deeper Spirit within us, the Spirit's potential. God works through our spirit. He reveals things to our spirit, which then transform our mind. He fills our spirit with his spirit, with his presence, with his energy. The deep abiding sense of Christ within us by the Holy Spirit is core within our spirit. It has to be released. It cannot be limited and encrusted by an unrenewed soul life, an unrenewed mind, an emotional life, and and a weak will. And even our body has to be consecrated and brought into alignment to release the deep life of Jesus flowing from within. You know, Jesus did say that out of our belly or out of our core shall flow rivers of living water, right? The Apostle Paul said, he he actually said these words, it was with his spirit that he served God. I have to pursue a course of wholeness in my experience, and and even sanctification and release from my spirit. Could it be? Could it be that we're not seeing things we should be seeing because our spirit is so clogged, our spirit is so encrusted by an unrenewed soul, and by a body even, which is not properly harmonizing in its behavior in alignment with our spirit? I know it's challenging. I'm challenged by it. But Jesus, if if we read the Gospels, he's always challenging his disciples. I mean, don't join this team if you don't want to perform. I mean, Jesus, his kingdom is so valuable. His redemption is so supreme. His story is so huge that he's unfolding. If we're going to join his team and we want to walk with him and be yoked with him and have a grade A experience with him... We are going to be challenged. He's going to coach us up. Here's another point. Oh, here's a big one, my friend. Am I entertaining bad theology? Hmm. Am I entertaining bad theology? See, early in our Christian experience, here's what happens. We tend to carry the DNA. Don't get mad at me. We tend to carry the DNA of the denomination or the doctrinal system which influenced us at first. Let me say that again. When we first come to the Lord, we tend to carry that DNA of the denomination, or maybe it's a fellowship of churches or a network, or or especially the doctrinal system of thought, the doctrine, the belief system, which influenced us early on. It's just like a, a child, a toddler, two, three, four years old. Psychologists will say that they're so deeply imprinted by their initial experience in their primary family of origin, right? Very similar parallel. But if as we grow in the Lord, as as we mature and grow up, if we discover that that original context, thank God for it. Thank God that he uses it. Honor what's wonderful about it. Thank God. But if we discover that it's limiting in some way, are we going to stay? Here's the question. Are we going to stay in that state of belief for a lifetime? I just want to say honor everything that's good about your past. But your primary allegiance is to the modeling and the words of Jesus. Eventually, you have to come to that conviction, that place. And we should always be growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. 2 Peter 
You're not too offended by that, are you? I hope not. Am I entertaining maybe insufficient, incomplete theology? Let me put it this way. Is the Holy Spirit calling you to full-spectrum Christ following, but what you've been around and what you've experienced to date has been sort of a a half-spectrum Christ following? How to win friends and influence people right there, Brian. That's, 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 That's good. Here's another point, wrapping it up. Do I have a strong desire to see the glory of God manifested right here and right now? How passionate am I about experiencing and demonstrating the glory of God being manifested here and now? I want to say, friend, that the power of God trumps the effects of the fall. The outworkings or the effects of the fall, including sin, sickness, disease, lack, breakdown of relationships, even death itself, the power of God trumps the effects of the fall. Now, you and I are going to have to want it. We are going to have to passionately desire this. We are going to have to pursue outrageous, radical belief. How did we ever come to see Jesus as not being outrageous or radical? How do we see him as a docile, you know, um, uh, shepherding figure, some kind of, I mean, he's, he's outrageous. He's entirely radical. And he calls us, if we're going to walk in the spirit, if we're going to walk in Christ, we too, frankly, are going to be called to levels that are outrageous and radical. By the way, the root meaning of the word radical means root or returning to the source. So the complete realization of the resurrection life of Christ, yes, it's going to come in the future like Martha was thinking, but can you believe, can I believe that it's already here now as a foretaste of what is to come and that Jesus means for us to live accordingly, that we may be actually in disobedience by not fulfilling the commissioning and the mandates and the modeling that he's given us? What can this mean for you? What can it mean for what you and I influence? Will we see greater measures of the glory of God than we have to date? Let's be encouraged that it is all potential potential before us. Let's hold it in belief, in a sort of a state of suspended belief before us. Let's reflect upon it, pray into it, and begin to take baby action steps leaning in that direction. Well, I hope you appreciate this special Holy Week episode, the resurrection of Jesus, his life. We can experience it now. Jesus reframes our understanding and the resurrection is already on. It's been on. We need, in a sense, to catch up to it and keep in step with the Holy Spirit, as Paul writes in Galatians 5. Thank you, friend, for rating, reviewing, and following this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, other major podcast listening options. It helps others to discover the content to see if it's a good fit for them. I encourage you to immediately apply whatever you learn. Anytime you learn something from the Lord, your own devotions, your own reading, the Lord speaks something to you, your own church, in a friendship you're dialoguing about some kingdom dynamic, begin to immediately apply what you learn. And begin to teach. Teach everything you know. You lock it in by teaching others. You lock it in by communicating it and sharing it. And it's just a great idea in life to share and teach everything you know. Give it away. Give it away. There is a lot more where that came from, okay? 
Remember, knowledge is not power. Applied knowledge, the doing, brings the power. It flows out of a kingdom heart relational knowledge with King King Jesus. From that spring flows a practical kingdom working knowledge that will elevate your life and everything you put your hand to, everything that you touch. We encourage you to leave a review on iTunes with your biggest takeaway for this episode or just a general review. Thank you for sharing this on the socials. Visit JesusSmart.com to see the show notes page for this episode. You'll often find there additional resources to dive deeper. Plus, I encourage you, would you please sign up to receive a free weekly email, next level ideas and practice about advancing as a Christ follower. We're all growing. We're all on the grow. We're all seeking to run this race to win it. We believe we're living in important times. We want to run hard. We want to run fast. We want to win the race for the glory and the story of the Lord. As always with Jesus, our horizon is brilliant. Find your story in the royal narrative. Make it a smart week and let's do this again soon.